Okay, welcome once again. Good to see you all. Uh, tonight, we're going to cover two of the chapters in the, in the manual. Um, who is the Holy Spirit and uh, what does he do? Um, and I'm going to summarize um, some of it, but it's all in there for you to, to, get, to get everything. Um, if you do want to listen to any of it in more detail, we do have, um, I do have tapes of, of it, so you can, if you want to go over it in more detail, but I'll tape tonight's talk, so if you, if you want to listen to it again, you can. Let's pray before we start, and uh, Father, I want to thank you for your desire to uh, reveal yourself to us and to help us understand who you are, and uh, we ask, Lord, that as we look at the subject of the Holy Spirit, that you help us understand how he fits into um, everything that, uh, that we've been learning about. In Jesus' name, amen. For a long time um, in churches, uh, the person and the work of the Holy Spirit has been ignored through history um, a lot, been misunderstood and are resisted to some extent. I think uh, he's been easy to ignore in one sense because he's a difficult concept to understand. Um, when we think of uh, God the Father, then we can understand, we, most of us, or all of us know what a, what a father is all about, the relationship of a, of a parent and a child, and we can understand that. We can understand God the Son in that Jesus came as a man um, nearly 2,000 years ago and walked on the earth and did all the things that he did, uh, said all the things he did, and, and responded to people in the way that he did. So we can understand that. But when it comes to uh, the Holy Spirit, um, or as some of the earlier tr English translations of the Bible um, put it, the Holy Ghost, then we, we kind of think of something that's a little bit spooky, you know, something that we're just not quite sure what it's all about. Um, it suggests something supernatural, but often we think of as a, a ghost as something that's, that's ghoulish, something that's supernatural but not very good, something that will scare you. Um, but whereas God is supernatural, um, it's a supernaturalness that is only good as you look at the life of Jesus. You look at the supernatural things that Jesus did. Um, and it's in, it's in that context that we kind of need to understand him. He's also misunderstood um, because he's, uh, he's a he rather than an it. So he's not just a power, but he's a person. Um, he has feelings, he has a mind, he makes decisions. Um, all the things that, that define what a person, a personality um, is. Uh, and he's often been resisted because uh, the spirit, we, we tend to put God in a box and limit God to our, just our simple understanding of things. Um, but God is much bigger than that. And uh, when the spirit of God begins to move in people's lives and through people's lives, <coughs> he comes to, to do a whole lot of things that, um, that set us free to be the people that we were supposed to be. Um, and a lot of people like to have the tradition and like to have the security of things in their religion um, rather than the life of God that, you know, that he comes to change things. He comes to um, reprioritize things in our lives and so he's often resisted. Now what I want to do is very, fairly quickly is run through um, the Holy Spirit and what the Bible has to say on it through the Old Testament, um, which is before Jesus came, um, and then through the New Testament um, when Jesus came and, and from then on. <clears throat> and the Holy Spirit is involved from the very, very beginning of the Bible, the very, very beginning of time. 
And uh, you needn't look these up. These are just, I'm going to summarize, really. As you read through the Genesis chapter 1, uh, we discover that even in the very first verses of the Bible, the Holy Spirit is there. Um, that it says the earth is formless, um, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the earth. Um, and then God spoke a word and said, let there be light. And we have the Genesis 1 account. And so we see the Holy Spirit involved right at the beginning in bringing some order out of a formless or chaotic situation. Okay, just so that that's the thing. And, and the Holy Spirit does that today. He's a creative spirit. Okay, he creates things. He, he brings order where there's, where there's chaos. And even today, it may be in our lives, it may be finances, maybe relationships, whatever it is in our lives, he comes primarily to, to, bring, to bring order there um, out of something that, that doesn't have the shape that it should have. In Genesis chapter 2, um, we find that the Holy Spirit is, uh, is involved in bringing life to us, human beings. It talks about uh, God breathed into man that gave physical life to us. Um, and the word for breath is the same word that is used for spirit um, in the Old Testament. And so it gives man physical life, but he also gave God and man spiritual life in that we had relationship with God. Okay, so God breathed his spirit into human beings and they had relationship with God and that's where the physical life um, was there as well. Then in Genesis chapter 3, um, there's an awful lot happens in the first three chapters of Genesis. We have this problem where mankind disobeys God and turns his back on God. And the result of that um, is that this dark cloud, if you like, this barrier, we use the illustration of the dirty handkerchief and all that, um, acts as a barrier between us and God. So God no longer sees us. Um, we can't relate to him anymore. And as a result, the spirit of God, we spiritually, we die. Physically, we're still alive. But the consequence is that we're spiritually dead and we're out of relationship with God. And then we're left with the problem, which um, hits us right through humanity, which is what we've been looking at. Okay. Now, as you move through the Old Testament, and, and we kind of skip through pages and pages and hundreds and hundreds of years, um, we find the Holy Spirit at work in different ways. And uh, what we find is that he's only involved... God only puts his Holy Spirit in people or on people to do specific tasks, okay, at certain times um, and only certain people. So he, God picks particular people to do particular things um, that achieve his purposes. And in order to do that, um, he puts his Spirit upon them. Um, for example, um, there's this guy Bezalel in Exodus 31 where um, God is preparing somebody to, to build the temple where God will dwell. And he gives Bezalel special artistic ability um, over and above, above his human ability to do something. And the Spirit of God comes upon him. Gideon, okay, Gideon says, when God says, starts to speak to him, he says, you've got the wrong guy. He says, my family is the smallest family of the smallest clan in, in, uh, in Israel. And I'm not a leader. And God says, I want you to lead the nation of Israel against um, another group of people called the Midianites. And then we discover that uh, the Holy Spirit comes upon Gideon 
And Gideon goes off, leads an army, and he defeats the enemies of Israel. Samson, you may have heard of Samson, uh, Samson and Delilah. And the Spirit of God gives him particular strength um, when he's leading the people. Because on one occasion, he fights off a thousand men single-handedly. Now, that's not something you do um, in your own natural strength and ability. That is something that God did for that particular occasion because of what God was wanting to do um, through Samson in rescuing his people. Um, Isaiah, the prophet, it says in Isaiah chapter 61, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, um, and to bring sight to the blind. And he then goes on and prophesies um, about things that are, that are ahead. Isaiah prophesied about Jesus dying on the cross. And you read Isaiah chapter 52 and 53 um, about what was going to happen to Jesus. Foretelling things 700 years beforehand because the Spirit of God was on him to do that particular thing. But he only comes on certain people at certain times for particular tasks. Now, as you move through the Old Testament, there's a, the promises start to come out that God is going to do something new. Okay. In the Old Testament, okay, we had the, the Ten Commandments and all the laws of God. And uh, this guy on the left is trying to, trying to live up to them. But people could never live up to them. Okay. They could never fully, wholeheartedly follow God's ways. There's something inherent within every one of us that cannot do that in our own. And the laws were there to show us that that was the problem. Okay. People just couldn't do it. And what God was saying, as we read through the, um, in Jeremiah chapter 31, and again this is in, in the manual, um, he says, I'm going to do a new thing. Rather than writing on tablets of stone, he says, I'm going to write on hearts of flesh. I'm going to write these laws, if you like, on people's hearts. So not just something you have to do, but there's something you'll want to do. Um, for example, uh, I, I used to do a lot of hill walking. And uh, we used to pack up the rucksack, okay, mainly with food. Okay, that's a priority. A few jumpers keep you on, but mainly food, tea, flasks, pocketfuls of Mars bars, all this, all this stuff. And uh, I can tell anywhere in the country within 60 seconds when it's half past 12, okay, because of my stomach. And it gurgles, okay, half past 12, or 12.29, 12.31, and I can be on the Isle of Sky. there's not a clock in sight, whatever, and I can tell you when it's 12.30, it's lunchtime, okay? <laughs> and you get the watch out, and right enough, within a minute. Anyway, so we go off hill walking, one of these rucksacks and the rest of it. And when you're going up a, a hill, you know, going up a hill in Scotland, they're all about over 3,000 feet, and you're hacking up this hill. This is a burden. This thing you've got in your back, you're wishing, oh, why did we bring that flask of tea? Why did we put this in? And it's heavy work, okay? Um, but when you get to the top of the hill, half past 12, hopefully, lunchtime, okay? And uh, you pile it all in, and you drink this wheat tea, and you get the Mars down your neck, and all the rest of it. Suddenly, what was a burden on your back becomes energy within you for the rest of the day. And uh, that's similar to what was happening. The Jewish nation, the people of Israel, had the Old Testament, which was a burden to them. They had to follow this, but it was, it was heavy going, and it was a burden. And what God is saying, um, as you read through the Old Testament, is I'm going to do something new. I'm going to make that an energy within you. I'm going to make that something within you that will give you a desire and motivate you to do that. Change it around. How was he going to do it? Well, later in uh, Ezekiel, the prophet, he says, I will do that. Okay, I'll make you a new heart by pouring my spirit 
his Holy Spirit. That's what the, the flashy bit on the right is. <laughs> Sorry, you can't see that. It does say Holy Spirit. I'm going to put the Holy Spirit into um, the hearts of men and women and change you from the inside out. And that is really the heart of, of what living the Christian life is all about. It's being changed from within. Okay, turn in your Bibles to page 914, and we'll look at another prophecy, prophecy of Joel. Page 914, page 914, Joel chapter 2 and verse 28, right at the top of the page in the Bibles. And uh, he says this, And afterwards, this is, this is the words of God through the prophet Joel, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So this promise is, is who's this for? Who's this promise for? Well, it's for everybody, really. It's universal. I will pour out my spirit on all people. It doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter what country you're from. It doesn't matter what background you're from. It doesn't matter whether you're old or whether you're young. Old men, young men. It doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman, both men and women. It doesn't matter whether you're from the, the richest class in the world or from the poorest class in the world. It doesn't matter what status you have in society. Even on my servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So the promise is, is here that God is going to do this something new. He's going to pour out his spirit to change people's hearts from inside. And it's for all people. Okay, then in the Bible, there's silence on the issue for about 300 years, okay, from the prophets. Until suddenly, um, when you start to read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we discover that everybody connected with the birth of Jesus, there is an activity of the Holy Spirit um, associated. For example, John the Baptist, um, he was a forerunner pointing people to Jesus. Now, John, it says, he was filled with the Spirit from birth. Um, Mary, Jesus' mother, um, she's filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, Elizabeth, who's John's mother, and his father, Zechariah, they're both filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, Simeon, Simeon is a guy, um, when Jesus has been born, he's eight days old, and he's taken to the temple um, for the ceremony of circumcision, okay, as was the Jewish custom. And Simeon comes, and he says, um, he prophesies over Jesus. He says, the Lord has shown me that um, I won't, die, I won't pass away until I've seen the Lord's Messiah, but I have now seen him. And he prophesies over Jesus, and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Everybody connected with his birth, um, there's a, suddenly the Holy Spirit is active in some special way. Page 1029, uh, Luke chapter 3, and verse 16. And John's been baptizing the people, and he's, earlier he said, he said that, look, the here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus has come to take away the sin of the world. But he also says in 16, uh, Jesus answers them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So Jesus, he's saying Jesus is the one who's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Baptize means to drench, to dip, to immerse, to plunge, to overwhelm. And what he's saying is that Jesus will, will, will do that, but not with water, but with the person of the Holy Spirit in their lives to change them in such a way. And um, Jesus, when he's baptized, the Holy Spirit descends on him. Um, it says it looks like a dove um, when it happens to Jesus. And he's filled with the Holy Spirit and his ministry then begins. 
Hegesias had lived for about 30 years, but it's only at that point does he then start to do the things that we think of as Jesus, the miracles, um, the things he taught, etc., because the Holy Spirit was at work with him um, in his life. Page 1072, this really is a whistle-stop tour, but just to give you some background. Page 1072, John chapter 7, and verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. So there's this life force from within, this life um, of water or whatever from in. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So Jesus is promising the Spirit. He's saying that you will receive the Holy Spirit. That this promise that my Father's been talking about is something that will happen. And then just before Jesus, when Jesus dies and he's raised to life again and he appears for, I think, 40 days, then he promises that it's going to come. Acts chapter 1, which is page 1092. Jesus said to the disciples, wait in Jerusalem for the promise that my father made. Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, this is after he's been risen from the dead, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. And we've looked at those prophecies so far, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So they've, been, they've not wanted Jesus to go, but Jesus said, I've got to go. I've got to go back to my Father, but I will send one like me. I will send one in my place, the Holy Spirit, who's not visible, he's invisible if you like, but he's like Jesus. He's the same God, he's the same personality as Jesus, but he comes to live within us and to change our hearts, and he can be everywhere rather than just in the one place like the, the man of the person of Jesus was. And then in Acts chapter two, we've got this you've got it's really quite exciting. It's hard to get to grips with. But this is like thousands of years of prophecy of something that God would want to do. And Jesus says in a few days it's going to happen. Acts chapter two, the champagne bottle, if you like, has been shaken and the cork's ready to fly off and it comes flying out in Acts two. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues or other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking from Galilee? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? And all the various languages. Verse 11, We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. 
These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. Now, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he quotes the prophecy that we've just looked at. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then in verse 22, he, he explains to them that, that Jesus was God amongst them and that they've killed him. Verse 23. That Jesus has been raised from the dead by God. Verse 24. And uh, tells them all about it. And suddenly, the whole crowd of them realize what they've done in, in putting Jesus on the cross and that, that God is real. And verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replies, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them save yourselves from this corrupt generation and uh, about 3,000 were added to the number that day but verse 38 you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit this promise has suddenly from this day forward been made available that we can receive the Holy Spirit into our lives if we believe in Jesus and put our trust in Jesus then it's something that is, is open to us so that we can be changed from within so that we were moved to want to live the life that God wants us to live. Right, what I want to do now is move on to the second part of the talk and explain who the Holy Spirit is, not, no, is what does he do? What does the Holy Spirit do? Okay, we've sort of done it in a simple nutshell in that he changes us from within. But I just want to unpack that a little bit more now. John chapter 3, there's a guy comes to, called Nicodemus who comes to Jesus and he said, he asks, what must I do um, effectively to to follow you and Jesus says you must be born again now we tend to think of that phrase as an American evangelist phrase you must be born again born again Christian and it's been used in such a way that most of us have we don't like the phrase or we become immune to the phrase but what Jesus was saying was to become a Christian okay you need to be born again not not born like you were born of your mother but to be born spiritually okay to be to have a new birth and um, so that you're born of God you're born of God's spirit it's something that happens, uh, not to you physically, but happens, it's like a spiritual birth, if you like. And you're born into a family, where God is your father, and every other Christian in the world is your brother, is your sister. And so this little bit, I'm going to just look at those different aspects of, uh, that come out of being part of a family that the Holy Spirit brings us into. And the first of those is that we become sons and daughters of God. When we become Christians, we become sons or daughters of God. And the Holy Spirit comes to make that real in our lives. Um, first of all, this forgiveness. Um, we are forgiven the moment that we, we ask Jesus for, our, for that forgiveness. We ask God for that forgiveness. Um, and the Holy Spirit comes to make that real in our lives. Let me read some of the things from the Bible that just explain the forgiveness that comes to us. These are different pictures, eight pictures from, of God's forgiveness. Uh, in Job, it tells us that God bags up our sins to throw them away. Okay, picture of, put them in the bag and he throws them away. It's another picture that says, he blows away the sin barrier. You know that, that dark cloud that we saw? He blows it away. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Psalm 103. As far as the east is from the west, so far 
has God removed our transgressions from us. He says that he puts our sins out of his sight. Isaiah 38, you have put all my sins behind your back. He no longer sees them. He no longer looks at them. He puts them out of his mind. Jeremiah 31 says, I will remember their sins no more. He chooses to take sin, take our sins out of his mind. He remembers them no more. And he chooses not to. He cancels our debt of sin. Isaiah 43 talks about blotting out our sin. Okay, just, just crossing it out. He cancels it. And God removes sin's stain and restores purity. Isaiah 1 verse 18. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. That's not something we've earned. That's not something we've done ourselves. But that's what God does. Um, and this forgiveness so that we can come into that relationship. The second aspect of being a son or daughter of God is, is that deep relationship. Turn to 8.14, Romans 8.14, which is page 1134, page 1134. And Romans chapter 8 describes um, what it means um, as a Christian to live a life that is marked and filled by the Spirit of God at work in your life and filling your life. Um, and it's a chapter that, that I want to increasingly get to grips with even in my own life. But if you read down to verse 14, verse 14 says this, Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. Okay? And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is like saying Daddy. Okay? Where a child calls his father Daddy. There's that intimacy. By him we call, cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share any sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So there's an incredible privilege in verse 14 that we can be called children, sons, daughters of God. We are actually royalty in that sense. Um, we're co-heirs with Jesus. We inherit everything of God. And that's a remarkable thing. That's an incredible privilege that we come into. There's this incredible intimacy. Abba, Father. Prince Charles. Okay, the title. These are his titles. Or were, anyway. I don't know. I'm not kept up with these titles lately. But he's this. Heir apparent to the crown. If you want to write him a letter, you've got to put all this at the front top of it. Heir apparent to the crown. His Royal Highness, the Prince of Wales. Duke of Cornwall, Knight of the Garter, Colonel-in-Chief of the Royal Regiment of Wales, Duke of Rothsey, Knight of the Thistle, Commander of the Royal Navy, Great Master of the Order of Bath, Earl of Chester, Earl of Carrick, Baron of Renfrew, Lord of the Isles, Great Steward of Scotland. And if you sign your letter, you're supposed to put Your Royal Highness's humble and obedient servant. Okay? It's just... You need to... If you want to copy that down after for a letter, then that's fine. If you're William or if you're Harry... You just call him dad because there's that relationship that is there. And that's the true of God. God's titles are far greater. He's above all authority, above all rule in the universe. And yet, as his children, we can call him dad. But not only can we say it because it says so on a bit of paper, but the Spirit of God comes in us so that we know that he's our dad. So that we know deep down that he's, he's, he's our, the one who that we can pour everything out to and he will provide for us in, in all, of, all of our needs that we have. Okay? Because he, he comes to, into that relationship. It says, 
We receive the spirit of sonship. By him we cry. By the spirit we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. He makes it not just head knowledge, but takes it into our heart to make it real. And uh, children should know that they're loved. Okay? They shouldn't have to just read it in a book. They should know that they're loved. They don't have to check up to see in an ideal world um, that they're loved by their parents. They should just know it because they experience it. And similarly, that's what the Spirit comes to do, so that we know that we're loved by God, that we experience that, that love in our lives. And th this incredible security that comes to know that you're a co-heir with Jesus, that we inherit everything that Jesus inherits. And that describes a person that is led by the Spirit, somebody who's received the Spirit and is walking with the Spirit and knows, knows that and is, is growing in that day by day. But not only that, the Spirit of God comes to help us develop that relationship with God. Because if we start out the Christian life and we think, oh, this is this incredible God, how, how do I get to know him? And in two very simple ways, um, first of all, he helps us to pray. It says in Romans 8, verse 26, it says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what to, we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. Okay, he helps us to pray. Um, he's like, um, he also comes to uh, help us understand the word of God. Talks about the, um, Paul writes in Ephesians, I pray that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation so that you may know God better. The spirit of God helps us to pray, but also helps to understand God's word so that we can understand God. He's like a personal tutor. Okay, he comes to, to train you and to help you, to teach you and to lead you how to relate to God both in what we say to God, so that we can talk to God, but also how we can hear God as we read this. It's a bit like you can be reading through this, and it can, it's, some of it's easy to understand, some of it's quite hard to understand. But the Spirit of God will come out, and he'll, it's almost like he gets his highlighter pen out sometimes. And uh, you think, oh, that's, that really spoke to me. Okay? And it's a personal thing. He speaks into our individual lives. Okay? Because he's, it's that kind of relationship. It's an ongoing day-by-day -day thing where God wants to speak into our lives, about the situations we face, about the, all the things that we have to cope with. He brings encouragement and brings understanding of how we should live in those situations. St. Augustine said this. He said, this is about understanding the Word of God. He said, the Spirit of God is the best interpreter. He said, I believe in order that I might understand. I believe in order that I may understand. A lot of people would say, I don't, because I don't understand, I'm not going to believe. St. Augustine turned that around and he said, I, I believe so that I can understand. Because as I walk into this Christian life, I take that step of faith, and God opens up his Holy Spirit to my life, then he will help me to understand the things of God. And I can't understand them, in a sense, without the Spirit of God in my life. And so it's important, from what he said, to actually consider that aspect. It's not a blind faith, but real understanding, real understanding of everything around us, really only comes later on as we walk with the one who knows about everything. Okay, so that's developing the relationship. The third thing that the Spirit of God does is he develops the family likeness. Okay, you know it's like... Family likeness, you know, I remember being at school and there was a there was a guy at school and his sister came to the school. 
but from behind you couldn't tell the difference. They both had the same colour of hair, you know, curly hair, and uh, you know if they were both wearing trousers or something, you could not tell the difference. Family likeness. My mum went to a wedding once. I don't know if you know Ronnie Corbett. Um, he's a kind of comedian, <laughs> and uh, he's he's got black hair and wears his big glasses and all the rest of it. His, his mum went to um, my mum went to a, I can't remember where it was, some party or something anyway, and his mum was there, Ronnie Corbett's mum. And I've got a photograph in the house, and she's the spitting image of Ronnie Corbett. It's just like Ronnie Corbett with a, with a you know, in drag, <laughs> family likeness. But you know what it's like. But with with us, with with God, it's not. You don't you don't look like God. Okay, it's it's not about physical likeness. It's about moral likeness. Um, it's your character and um, becomes more like Him, and that's something that the Spirit does within us. Turn to page one one seven two. And we read about the fruit of the Spirit, okay? Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. Again, another chapter on what it means to live with the Spirit of God in your life. Page 1172, Galatians 5 and verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit, the things that the Spirit produces within you, is love, is joy, is peace, is patience, is kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. But fruit takes time to grow. It doesn't come instantly. It's something that grows and develops within us. And the Bible says that we've been transformed into the moral likeness of Jesus. We become more and more like Jesus. And that's the work that God does in our lives. Now, when we bought a house, the house we live in at the moment, we bought it and it was in a real state, okay? This is why we got it for a good price, but it was a real state. It needed everything doing to it. It needed floors doing, windows didn't fit the windows and the, all the rest of it. It was a bit of a mess. Now when we bought the house, I think it was in May we bought it, that house belonged to us, okay? But it was, it was a disaster of a house. And we then needed to get the workmen to come in and do various things, the roof, the floors, and then you decorate it and you make it somewhere that's fit to live. And it's similar to when you become a Christian. And it's a similar analogy. When you become a Christian, when I became a Christian, it's like Jesus had paid for me. Okay, when he died on the cross, he paid the price for me. And when I came to believe in him and trust in him, then it's like I now belong to Jesus. That's what I said. I want to belong to you now, Jesus. I want to follow you. I want to be owned by you. All right? Not myself, but by you. You paid the price for me, and that's me. But I came like this house. And there's a lot of things changing in my life. Okay, I didn't come perfect, he didn't change me overnight. But then the Holy Spirit begins to work in my life, and I open the door so that he can work in my life, and he's like the workman. And he's not making it a place just to live in, he's making it a place fit for royalty, where God himself can live in there. And he's doing that, and he's turning around, and he's moving in my life. And he's doing all the repair work that is necessary to make me as I was originally intended to be like the house was originally. Okay? And that's the work of the Spirit producing the fruit of God in my life. Now, we often think of things like love, joy, and peace. And we think, oh, we're, we're okay with that. The word love, God's love, there's, there's all these different words in the, ori in the original. And the, the word it's talking about is not the love that we think about. It's an unconditional love. You know, we all love people who love us. But it's a love, it's lovingly unlovable. Okay, it's lovingly unlovely. It's loving the people who don't love you back, but who throw it in your face. Okay, it's, it's something that is beyond. Um, it's a supernatural love that he produces within us. 
joy. Joy isn't happiness. Okay? Happiness depends upon what happens to you. Joy doesn't. Let me just read. This is somebody who writes in a, in a book trying to get to grips with the difference. Happiness depends on what happens. Happiness, okay, he's a, he's a, um, a hitchhiker in this story, okay? Happiness, for a hitchhiker, is a Porsche with a stereo stopping for you when it's just started raining. Joy may rise in the midst of the thunderstorm when not a car is to be seen. Happiness is finding a wallet full of £20 notes with no identification on it. Joy could hit you when you give your last fiver to a lovable rogue with an unlikely story. Happiness is the preserve of the lucky, the wealthy and the successful. Joy belongs to any who find it. Joy is something that doesn't depend on outward circumstances, it's something that is within. Richard Vermbrandt, he was a guy who was imprisoned in the, um, behind the Iron Curtain and frequently tortured for his Christian faith. And he wrote this, Alone in my cell, cold, hungry and in rags, I danced for joy every night. Sometimes I was so filled with joy that I felt I would burst if I didn't give it expression. That is not natural, that is something that God produces within. The kingdom of God, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within. Peace. Again, I'll just touch on this, but peace we often think of as the absence of hostility. Okay? You get peace when the kids have gone to bed. You get peace when the war has ended. Okay? When hostility has stopped. But the peace that God talks about is a peace regardless of what is happening chaos around, everything's fallen about you, but you've got the peace of God in your heart. It's something, it's not the absence of something, it's the presence of God's Spirit himself, regardless of what is happening around. A supernatural thing. So he, he develops the family likeness. Fourthly, this, he brings unity to the family. Um, Ephesians 4 talks about the unity of the Spirit. And it's the Spirit of God that brings people together. Every true Christian who has the Spirit of God living in their lives, from whatever country, whatever background you're from, from whatever denomination you're from, when you meet somebody else who has the Spirit of God living in them, it's the same Spirit living in them. And therefore you've got something in common with that person. And you can meet people who are Christians from all sorts of places, all sorts of backgrounds, and you know that there's a fundamental something in common. Not just because you think there might be, but when you, you spend time with them, you do something together, um, you work on a team together, and you know there's something um, that is in them, that is in you. Even though their background is vastly different. Whatever race, whatever, from background. And it's the Spirit of God that brings unity um, as well. Fifthly, he also, uh, well, that's just like a family, I suppose. It's a family, but it's a worldwide family. It's not a denominational family because it's a family that is brought about by the Spirit um, in people's lives. Fifthly, he gives gifts. You know what it's like, you know, get shown some. You want to give your, your kids gifts. You want to give them something, um, something for them to use, something for them to do, um, something to give them. And uh, the Bible tells us that the Spirit also gives gifts. Um, page 1153. And while there's unity in the church, unity in the body of Christ because of the Spirit of God, there's also diversity. He doesn't make you into a clone, but he wants to give everybody different things. And if you read through 1 Corinthians 12, it's the whole thing is about a body. But it's one body, but it's got many, many parts to it. Verse 
4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. Different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. And to another distinguishing between spirits. To another speaking in different kinds of tongues or languages. And to another the interpretation of these all these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. Now, there are other spiritual gifts mentioned in the Bible, but this list here is particular about supernatural gifts, the message of wisdom, where God gives somebody, unknown to them, an ability to make a decision or come up with some wisdom on something that God has given them, or to give them some knowledge that they could not have known themselves, but that God has revealed to them that will help in a situation, or a gift of healing, for somebody who needs healing in some area of their life. Supernatural gifts that God gives um, through his spirit so that the, the church can be like Jesus was to the world around it in the way that it is.